0: Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ms. Amber, take your Bibles with me tonight, and let's go to the book of Galatians, please. Galatians chapter number 4. And uh, as you're turning there, of course, on Sunday evenings, we've been studying through the book of Luke, uh, but being this uh, sun, last Sunday before Christmas and uh, the uh, Christmas Sunday, if you wanted to call it that, we wanted to take some time and uh, continue studying about the Christmas story. And uh, we've looked uh, last week at the Christmas story by the pen of Matthew. Uh, this morning, we looked at it through the pen of Luke. And uh, as we went and kind of interweaved that through our Christmas musical, Tonight we're going to see how Paul addresses it here as he writes to the churches of Galatia. As you're turning there, Galatians chapter 4, I just want to say thank you for everyone who participated in any way to help make sure that the events of this morning uh, went off the way that they did. We had a wonderful, wonderful morning, and I hope that you were blessed uh, through the music that was presented and the message as well thankful for Brother Brandon and his hard work in organizing the choir and the hard work of the choir to make plans and, and preparations to make sure that we were able to have what we had this morning. And uh, I'm thankful for those uh, who were here and thankful for those who participated in any way, inviting folks to, to be able to be here as well. We had a wonderful attendance in the first service, a packed house in the second service as well. There was only a handful of seats available. And uh, most importantly, uh, we were able to see one saved this morning. And so we praise the Lord for that and let me say, the reason that, was ha- that happened is because someone took time to invite someone, and uh, that's why we're so we're so, uh, uh, so high on trying to invite others to be a part of your church and to come and visit a service. You say, I'm just nervous about inviting somebody. What if they tell me no? Well, what if they tell you yes? They might just come, and they might just come to know Christ as their personal Savior and, and their life be ever transformed, not only here, but for all of eternity as well. And so we praise the Lord for his goodness and all that he's done here through Mountain Vista this day and look forward to finishing out this night, honoring him and glorifying him in his word. In Galatians chapter four, verse number four, the Bible says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Our Father, we thank you tonight for the opportunity to once again be in your house and I'd ask now, God, that you just help us to uh, be in tune with your word, that your spirit would guide us. Give me the words to speak as I deliver the message here this, morning, this evening. And, and Lord, I just ask now that you uh, would help us to remain focused this season on why we celebrate. Uh, the get-togethers are wonderful, the presents are wonderful, but the most wonderful thing that we could focus on is your birth and your love for us expressed in the the gift of your Son. I ask now, God, that you'd be honored and glorified through everything that is said and done here tonight, that your will would be accomplished. And Lord, we ask that uh, you be able to see your hand moving mightily through this place tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've heard already several times today, that this season is a time to celebrate, and it's a time of joy uh, because of the fact that our Savior has been born. To, uh, thousands of years ago, the Savior came and was born in that lowly manger, and what a privilege it is for us to gather at this season, to be able to consider His birth and to praise Him for all that He's done, just to maybe hit that reset button once again. I mean, here we're coming to the end of this year, right? And of course, the uh, the New Year's upon us, everyone seems to make New Year's resolutions, and they want to uh, do things differently or change different things or whatever the case might be, or start doing things that they know they ought to be doing that's kind of fallen off the card a little bit. What a better, No better thing for us to be able to kind of reset our life and our mind and our heart upon than the, to reset it upon the, the things of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I hope at this season that we would take that time to do that, and what a privilege it is to gather and have these services so that we might be able to accomplish that end. We have the opportunity to worship and praise our Lord who wasn't just born thousands of years ago in a stable, who didn't just live a life on this earth and was, uh, was crucified and buried, but we worship and praise a Savior who also rose, and he's alive today as well. See, many, they celebrate the babe that was found in that lowly manger in Bethlehem, but few grasp the enormity of his life. We at this season see People who aren't even religious maybe have on their holiday displays a, a, uh, a nativity scene of some sort, and uh, people might take the time to consider the story of uh, Jesus and his birth at this time. But we, we see his life is, is an enormous, had an enormous impact on anyone who believed, not just his birth. See, his life involves more than just a great man. A man who had compassion, uh, who performed miracles and gathered the great following. See, my friends, his life involves more than the horrific moments of his beating and his death as well and being put in the tomb. We are not gathered to celebrate just the life of one who was. We gather tonight to celebrate the life of one who truly is. He's alive today and we worship a risen Savior. His life, His death, His resurrection provided the means for salvation for all who will look to Him in faith. And as we look at Galatians 4, we find the Apostle Paul contemplating the coming of Jesus Christ. And we also find him uh, contemplating it as he wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse number 15, where he said, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Our text this evening in Galatians 4 It deals with the enormity, though, of Christ's life, Uh, from His miraculous birth unto His atoning death and the great provision that He made for all humanity. And as we discuss these verses here this evening and consider all that the Lord has done for us, I'd like us to consider the greatest gift from heaven, the greatest gift from heaven. And notice with me in number, number one, as we look at verse number four again, it says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law. See, my friends, as we consider the life of Christ, we must consider His sovereign purpose. And notice with me, number one here tonight, a special reason for His coming. See, this this was not just an average birth. It was just not some ordinary person being born. Uh, Just wasn't another baby being born to just another Jewish family of that day. He was no ordinary child, for as we even discussed this morning, He is the Son of God, Emmanuel, come to be with His people. Jesus came to this earth to fulfill the sovereign plan and the sovereign purpose of His, his Father, the Almighty God. And We find this special reason for coming to this earth and for His birth, as we declared in verse number 4. We see that this special reason was a sovereign reason. Notice with me again in verse number four, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. Paul spoke of the fullness of time here in Galatians 4.4, revealing that moment, a moment predetermined by God that Jesus would come to this earth. Think with me back to creation. Adam and Eve in the garden, they had a perfect relationship with God and they communed with God on a daily basis. But when sin entered into this world, uh, their, their, their relationship with God was severed, and they were separated from God because of sin. And as Adam and Eve are parents of the entire human race, we find that their sin has been passed down upon us as well. In Romans chapter 5, in verse number 20, it says, as far as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And in the beginning, all was as God planned for it to be. He had a perfect relationship with his creation. But when they took of that forbidden fruit and sin entered in, it messed everything up. And early in the garden, God would even prophesy of how he would make a way for mankind to be redeemed. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And while, my friends, this was the first mention of the coming of Jesus, it was still not time for Him to come. For we see the special reason in His coming was a sovereign reason. But the special reason for His coming was also a selected reason, my friends. See, although in that first mention in Genesis chapter 3 of the coming Christ as Savior, it was not the moment of His sovereign plan. Before God created Adam, He knew that Adam would sin. He knew that sin would enter into the world. And the Bible teaches that Christ is the Lamb of God that was chosen to be slain before the foundations of the world. That means that before God ever created Adam and Eve, before you and I were even a thought in one of our, uh, our parents' minds, God already had created a plan for us to be able to be redeemed and to be brought back to Him. And see, my friends, the coming of Christ as a sacrificial atonement for sin was planned of God before He created the world in which we live today. Aren't you glad that we serve a God that isn't taken by surprise? We serve a God that isn't uh, trying to reel and trying to grasp at straws to get things back together. The plan of Jesus Christ and His miraculous birth was God's plan from the beginning. We cannot celebrate Christmas apart from a genuine awareness of God's sovereignty and His, His eternal plan. Christ came to fulfill that plan. And that's what we read here in Galatians 4, verse number 4, that as we consider this gift from heaven, it was given for a special reason. But number two tonight, notice also in verse number 4, that it was given as a scheduled resolve. In verse number 4, again, we see it says, when the fullness of time had come. As we'd already said, there was a moment that was predetermined by God Himself in eternity past that the Son would come into this world. And at that exact moment when God had planned, Christ was born into the world. Not any moment before, not any minute later, but at the right time. This was not some haphazard, accidental birth that Jesus had come. The sovereign of all the ages had planned for this time. And we find that there was a resolution of time as well. What does all this mean? When we read in verse number four that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. What does Paul speak of regarding the fullness of time? See, for centuries, prophets had prophesied about a coming Messiah, a Messiah that would come and redeem mankind of their sin. And although the Jews were aware of it, knew that Messiah was coming, they didn't see how God was working behind the scenes. And taking every step of the way, molding it into His purpose and into His plan, so that everything was exactly right so that his child could be born. You say, preacher, are you talking about that God has forced his hand on people and that there is no free will? I'm not discussing that here this evening, but what I am saying is that God, in his all-knowing power, is able to take anything that is uh, unfolding in the world and use it for his purposes. See, my friends, before All that was taking place, and before everything unfolded, God had a plan to send His Son. And He knew how He was going to send His Son, and when He was going to send His Son. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, we've been studying through the book of Revelation. Prior to that, we studied through the book of Daniel to help set a foundation to what we would be studying. We looked at how the Jewish people were taken into captivity by, first, the Babylonian kingdom, right? And then after the Babylonian kingdom, there was the Medes and the Persians, and then finally then the next, the Greek empire, and after the Greek empire, the Romans. And and my friends, as if you were alive in those days, if you were part of any of those kingdoms, especially of the elite of those days, I promise you, you are not thinking, God's using uh, me to uh, ultimately complete His plan. But that's exactly what He was doing. While rulers and emperors and kings and and, uh, armies were gathering together thinking that they were accomplishing their will, God was using everything that was unfolding to ultimately accomplish His will. And we come to the time in between the Testaments when the Romans would take control of the known world at that time. And uh, we come into the, the Gospels and we find the birth of Jesus at a time where the Roman government was in control of the world as we know it. They felt like they had everything under their control and in their grasps, but God was using all of those events to make way for a coming Messiah. See, at the time of Jesus' birth, the Greek language known as Koine Greek was spoken throughout most of the known world. You know what that meant, my friends? That the message of Jesus Christ would have been easier to proclaim to everyone at that time greater than any other time since the Tower of Babel and God confounding the languages. You see, my friends, where man thought they had a grasp on this world, where man thought they had an idea of what they were doing to set up their empire and set up their kingdom, God was using all of it to make way so that it would be easier for his son's message to be proclaimed. See, it was a resolution of time. We also find that it was a resolution that transcends as well. See the Roman Empire had established an environment that would enable the gospel to be spread throughout the world. Christ was born at a time that is known as the Pax Romana, the Roman peace and uh, uh, that provided societal, uh, economic and potential uh, sorry political stability. This allowed all of the early missionaries of that day and the preachers of that day to travel freely throughout the Roman Empire. And because the Romans, they ruled with such force, there was relative peace in the land because there wasn't many that was going to come up against a mighty empire in that way. And so although the Jewish people were technically slaves in that land, they had freedom to worship and freedom to move about and freedom to accomplish and this, this time was a time that allowed the message of the gospel to proceed easier than any time ever before. There was also the time of Lex Romana as well, where the Roman law gave the citizens living in the empire many rights that would also help spread the gospel. It was also a time of the Rio Romano, which is the, where the Roman government They came and they set up a a series of roadways and highways, many of even that are still in use today, and it served to aid the spreading of the gospel message. See, the exact moment of Jesus' birth was fulfilled according to God's plan. It wasn't by accident that God came at this time. God had orchestrated all of these events to prepare the world for the coming of His Son and so that it would be able to be ready for the spreading of His message. And as we consider this gift sent from heaven, we notice this evening that it was sent for a special reason. It was sent at a scheduled resolve, but it was sent through a sinless ruler. Look at verse number four again with me. In verse number four it says, But when the fullness of time was come... God sent forth who? His son. He didn't come along and say, well, angel Gabriel, I guess you could work. I feel like, uh, you know, I can spare you for a time. No, God sent his only begotten son. And following the fall of Adam in the garden, every single human being that has ever been born has been born with that sin stain, born with that sin curse. We're condemned by our sin, and because of that, we're separated from our God. The only hope that an individual has is reconciliation through redemption. Now, that sounds wonderful and all, but in and of ourselves as human beings, we could not accomplish reconciliation. We could not accomplish redemption as sinful human beings. Because none of us are able to live holy, sinless lives before God. We cannot keep the law of God and become acceptable in His sight in our sinful state. And God knew this, and that's why He made the plan to send this gift from heaven, a sinless ruler. And as Christ came to live a life that we could never live and offer Himself the atoning sacrifice, notice, my friends, that as the sinless ruler came, he came in the likeness of men. It says here in verse number four that God sent forth His Son. He says, made of a woman, born of that virgin womb, the woman Mary. He was fully God, yet He was fully man as well. Many today doubt the validity of the virgin birth, but my friends, I'm here to declare to you, it is absolute truth. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, and, and had He not been born of a virgin's womb, conceived by the Holy Ghost, He would have been born in sin, just like you and I. And again, that shows that Jesus' birth was not just any ordinary birth. He was not just some ordinary child. He is the Son of God. But the sinless, sinless ruler came in the likeness of men, but He came fulfilling the laws of men. Paul also declares here in verse number four that he was made of woman, made under the law. Now keep in mind that mankind stood condemned by the law of God. We could not keep the law. We could never measure up to God's righteous standard. So Christ came in the flesh, living underneath the laws of man, but fulfilling them to the T and obeying and and sinless upon this earth. This too is a vital aspect of our Lord and Savior's uh, life as well. He fulfilled the law of God, accomplishing what we never could, so that He could be sacrificed as the atoning sacrifice for you and I, the sinless ruler, giving His life for His creation. But as we find this evening, as we consider this this gift sent from heaven, we notice, number one, tonight that it it was sent for a special reason. It was sent at a scheduled resolve. It was sent... To be fulfilled by a sinless ruler. But number four tonight, notice also that it was sent to accomplish a sacrificial redemption. As we move into verse number five, it says, To redeem them that were under the law. Christ came to redeem us from the penalty and the punishment of sin. And the law declared we're guilty. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine having to stand before a judge and being brought up on on uh, whatever the charges might be. But worse than that, that the charges you're being brought up on were not just committed to someone out in the society of that day, but the charges you're being brought up on were committed directly against the judge you're standing before. Talk about a uh, troubling place you find yourself in. But my friends, that's exactly where you and I were. That's where we stand without Christ. We stand before the judge, the God of the entire universe, our Creator, and in our sinful state, we would have to stand before Him and hear, guilty. Now, guilty is bad enough. There's a sentence that has to be played out after that. And the sentence does not just last for a year or a few months or even several years or decades, but the sentence for sin is an eternal sentence, and the sentence for sin is an eternal sentence in a place called hell. And imagine if we were to stand in our sinful state before God himself, having committed the sins that we, and trespasses we have committed against him personally. Because, my friends, I don't know if you understand this or not, but every sin that is committed is committed directly against our Lord. As we stood before God, guilty of the sins that we had committed against him, and consider it with me, if we only sinned one time a day, man, we'd be, pretty good off, we'd be pretty well off at that rate. But if, if it were true that we only sin one time a day, that's 365 sins in a year. And you multiply that by the length of your life, that's a lot of guilty counts that are up against you. And if we had to stand in our sinful state before the God of the universe, the eternal judge, and we find Him declare that we are guilty... And He casts us off for the sentence of eternity in hell. What a horrific situation that would be. But that's exactly why God sent His Son, so that we wouldn't have to experience that. See, when Christ died on the cross, He died and was buried and rose again to take the penalty of our sin for us. He's already paid for it. And if we accept Christ as our Savior, we find that we will be redeemed through His sacrificial death. Notice that Paul declares that, that the ransom has already been paid. In verse number five, that God sent His Son, uh, made of a woman, under, made under the law. In verse number five, to redeem them that were under the law. See, in order to be freed from the guilt and the con- condemnation, a ransom had to be paid. My friends, you couldn't have come up with enough money to pay that ransom. You couldn't have come up with enough good deeds to pay that ransom. You could not have attended church enough times to pay that ransom. The only thing that could pay the penalty of our sin was the perfect blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. As we consider this gift that was sent from heaven in our Savior, Jesus, we see it was sent to accomplish a sacrificial redemption. The ransom has been paid. See, Christ redeeming us, as Paul says there in verse number 5, has the idea of purchasing one from a marketplace and removing them from sale. You might be scrolling through Facebook and come across Facebook Marketplace, or you might look at something on the internet and find it for sale there or whatever. You might be uh, scrolling through and finding that somebody has something that they put up for sale, and you say, man, I could use that. I mean, after all, another man's junk is always somebody else's treasure, right? And uh, so, man, I could use that. I need that. And you sh- quickly try to send the message off, or maybe they left their phone number, so you text or call them, and you want to make arrangements to be able to purchase that. And then your heart is broken when you get the message back and say, oh, it's already been sold. See, when we talk about things in that way, it's not like going off to Walmart or Target or some department store where they have multiple of those items, and just because somebody else bought that one thing, uh, that doesn't mean that you can't, because there's several of them on the shelf. When we're talking about a personal transaction, there probably is only one of them available. Can I declare to you tonight that there's only one of you available? And when Jesus died on the cross, He paid the price so that you could be redeemed. And when you accept him as your Savior, it's as if he came to the marketplace uh, of Satan's marketplace. And he said, hey, here's the blood of Christ. And that one, he's just accepted me. She's just accepted me. Remove them from the market. They're no longer yours. They're no longer for sale. They're mine. What a wonderful thing it is to know that the ransom for us has already been paid. Notice with me also, though, That leads us to being a reconciled individual, a reconciled person. He says to redeem them that were under the law. See, each of us stood a slave in the market of sin, condemned and without hope. We couldn't earn our freedom from the bondage of sin, and we had nothing of merit to to, to merit God's acceptance within ourselves. But Jesus offered himself the atoning sacrifice so that we might be able to be saved. He willingly, not forcefully, God sent His Son, but Scripture is clear that He willingly went to the cross, and He willingly gave Himself so that you and I might live. See, Jesus said He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. The thief, He said, cometh to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I, Jesus said, have come that they might have life and have life more abundantly. And the way that we can have that, my friends, is because He willingly bore our sin and endured our judgment when He took the penalty of the cross. See, God judged our sin, your sin, my friends. Don't don't miss this tonight. God judged yours and my sin on Christ's body as He hung on the cross. And through that, Jesus secured our redemption as He bled and He died on the cross and rose again for our salvation. In Him, we find forgiveness. In Him we find reconciliation and redemption from sin and reconciled back to God. 1 Peter 1 verses 18 through 21 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifested in these last times for you who by him do believe uh, I'm sorry who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory uh, that your faith and hope might be in God Ephesians 3 I'm sorry verse 1 chapter 1 I'm sorry verse number 7 says in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace my friends, we find that as we consider the gift that has been sent, this gift from heaven, it was sent for a special reason. It was sent at a scheduled resolve. It was sent through a sinless ruler. It was sent to accomplish a sacrificial redemption. And it was sent so that we might attain a supernatural rebirth. Notice the last part of verse number five with me. He said, in the first part, to redeem that, w- that we're under the law. But the last part of verse 5 says that we might receive the adoption of sons. See, our adoption adoption through the atoning sacrifice that Christ affords to the believer, it is a new supernatural position that is accepted by God. In Christ, he said we receive the adoption of sons. Literally, we are placed within the family of God. That's what the scripture is saying. That when we trust Christ as our Savior and His finished work, the whole reason He was sent in the first place, so that we might be able to be saved, when we trust Him as our Savior, we are literally placed into God's family. Now, in the ancient world, the family was based on a Roman law called uh, Patria Potestas. That means this the Father's power. See, the law gave the Father absolute authority over His children. So long as the father lived, he could work them, enslave them. He could sell them if he wished. He could even pronounce the death penalty upon them if he chose to. Regardless of the child's adult age, the father held all power over personal and property rights as well for their children. Therefore, someone being adopted into a family was a serious matter. It wasn't something that was just taken lightly. Even though it was so serious, it was something that was common practice to ensure that a family would not become extinct, in fact. In those days, the way they made their living, they would need laborers, and so it was cheaper to have children or to adopt children to be your laborers than to pay somebody to be your laborers. And if a man was unable to have a a son, maybe to continue their family name and such, they might adopt someone officially to be able to accomplish that. And when a child was adopted, three legal steps were taken. See, my friends, when a child was adopted, the adopted son was adopted permanently. That means that there was nothing that could change that. He couldn't be adopted today and then disowned the next day. He became the son of the father. She became the daughter of the father forever. And nothing would change that. He was eternally Uh, secured as the child or the son, or she was eternally secured as the daughter. See, uh, secondly, the adopted son immediately had all the rights of a biological son in the new family. So if the uh, biological child had certain rights that they held, then the new adopted child had the same exact rights, same uh, inheritance promised to them, and so on and so forth. But thirdly, the adopted son also completely lost all rights in the old family as well. You say, preacher, why do you bring that up? We've got to consider who Paul is writing to in the time he is writing. And God led him to use this terminology not by happenstance. Because everyone that was reading what Paul was writing in those days would have immediately understood what it meant For a believer to receive the adoption of sons into the family of God. They would immediately understand that because we trust Christ as our Savior, we become part of the family as an adopted child. And that means that we are God's child permanently. Nothing's going to change that. We can't go back. God's not going to disinherit us. He's not going to kick us out and say, I don't like you anymore. There's nothing that could separate us from the love of God, Paul would write in the book of Romans. He said, secondly, the reason he said that is because the adopted son immediately had all the rights as the biological one. Hey, my friends, let me ask you a question. Who was the only begotten son of God? Jesus Christ. God himself. That means that as a child of God, we are joint heirs with our Savior. We are able to receive the same inheritance. We are able to receive the same possessions that our, our, our Savior Jesus Christ has. That, that means we're going to experience heaven one day. That means we're going to experience a, a communion and a, a relationship with God forever and ever. But thirdly, he said the adoption of the son it means that we, they completely lost the rights of the old family. Hey, if that ain't something they rejoice in the shout about tonight, I don't know what is. Because in our sinful state, the Bible tells us we were dead in our trespasses and sins, the book of Ephesians says. And therefore, as a sinner, we were of our father, the devil, the Bible even says. And what I'm trying to say this evening is this, that when we accept Christ as our Savior, our past is gone. Our sin is, is washed clean. And God does not see us in our sinful state any longer. He sees us as a redeemed child of His. Paul wasn't using this terminology by accident, my friends. He wasn't just saying this by happenstance. It was a purposeful declaration because immediately the reader would understand that things are different now. I'm the child of a king. And in Christ, we are adopted into the family, eternally secure as a child of the Father. That sin debt that we had in the past, it's gone. Gone forever. And we we find that we have the promise of an eternal inheritance where we will meet the Lord beyond the grave. Now, as we discussed the message, this wonderful passage as Paul started out in verse number four, speaking of the fullness of time when God would send forth his son, no doubt he's referencing the birth of Jesus Christ, the time that we celebrate tonight. But as we've gone along, it might have uh, sounded like we've kind of transitioned into more of an Easter message talking about a resurrected living Savior. But as, I've, as I even mentioned this morning, without the birth of Jesus, there would be no resurrection. There would be no Easter. And while we take this time of Christmas to recognize the birth of a Savior and to celebrate our coming Savior, ultimately we have to understand that the reason why He came was to give His life a sacrifice for you and I. You've heard the song, Born to Die. And that's exactly why Christ came, so that he might give his life, so that we might be saved. And every year, we celebrate the birth of Christ. And when we think about a birthday, many a times that means that the one that's celebrating the birthday gets the gifts. But truly, we were the ones that received the greatest gift. And at this Christmas season, if we're saved by grace, And placed within the body of Christ, we've got much to rejoice about. We've got much to be thankful for. We truly have much to celebrate. If you've received Christ as your Savior, let us rejoice. But if you've yet to receive Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you tonight that you would trust Him as your personal Savior because He's already delivered the gift, the gift from heaven. The gift of he- from heaven of Jesus Christ that was sent for that special reason, that was sent at the scheduled resolve, that was sent as a sinless ruler, that was sent to accomplish the sacrificial redemption for you and I, that was sent so that we might obtain a supernatural rebirth. And my friends, if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, I trust that you will call upon Him today as your Savior and Lord. Can I invite you to stand to your feet with me tonight? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed here this evening, out of respect of others, we'll have this time of invitation. But I wonder how many here would say, Pastor, I know for sure that I'm saved. I know that heaven is my home. And if I die tonight, I know I'd spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Could I just rejoice with you? Slip your hands up and right back down. Hands all across this auditorium. We praise the Lord for that. Would there happen to be anyone here tonight who would honestly say, though, Pastor, I don't know for sure that I'm saved, that heaven is my home. I'm not sure that I've been born again and that Christ is my personal Savior. I definitely would not embarrass you, but would you allow me to pray for you tonight? If that's you, and say, Pastor, I don't know that heaven's my home. Could I just simply pray for you? Slip your hand up and write back down if that's your testimony tonight. If you're here then this evening, and you say, Pastor, I am saved, and I do know for sure that heaven is my home, I hope that the messages of today and this time that we celebrate at Christmas would just cause us to rejoice It would cause us to be thankful. It would cause us to be focused on who he is and all that he's done. I don't know about you, but when I love someone and I want to get them a real special gift, I oftentimes put a lot of thought and plan into it. If we can't see the love expressed in the planning and the thought, that God put into sending his, this special gift, His Son, Jesus Christ. We are just not looking. The fact that He sent it for that specific, special reason, so that we might be able to be saved, it wasn't something that He just haphazardly threw together. From the beginning of time, He had a plan to redeem us. This was not something that cost Him a little. It cost Him His very Son. And he sent a sinless ruler. He, he, he sent this son so that we might be able to re- be redeemed through his sacrifice. And consider, my friends, the fact that we will be born again. That terminology that Jesus uses in John 3, as he speaks to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is wondering about salvation and such. And Jesus said to him, marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Nicodemus says, what do you mean, I'm going to be, go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus says, I'm not talking about a physical birth, I'm talking about a spiritual one. And if you have received that spiritual birth, that rebirth, that's surely something that we ought to rejoice about. Wouldn't we share it with others? Who here would say tonight at this Christmas season, as we've considered the messages this evening and this morning, you'd say, pastor, please pray with me that I would never lose the wonder and the awe of what Christ has done for me. Could I pray with you tonight, hands up, all across the auditorium? I'm going to pray, then the piano is going to begin to play. And if the Lord has spoken to your heart and you'd like to come to the altar, if you're able to kneel, I'd encourage you and invite you to do that. But if you're unable to kneel, maybe right there in your seat, you'd call out to the Lord and lift up your heart to Him as He's spoken to you tonight through His Word. Our Father, we thank You so much for this evening. Thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for the fact that You willingly sent Your Son We thank you for the fact that Jesus willingly came to die for us, the fact that it was for a specific reason, and that it was a time that was specifically planned, and that it wasn't by chance, and that it was one that could redeem us, your sinless son, that he was willing to be sacrificed for you and I so that we might experience being born again. Now, Lord, I ask now that you have your will in your way in this invitation, that you be honored and glorified through it all and we ask these things in Jesus name. Amen. As the piano plays-